On May 6, 2013, Oliver Butler of the Debate Society and Jack E. Cumming III of Transport Group spoke with SDCF producing director Ellen Rusconi on their experiences of simultaneously managing a directing career and a theater company. The in-depth discussion follows the ebb and flow of two singular directing careers, each affected by a loyalty to his own growing theater company. Listen as they explore how changing cultural and economic trends affect a theater company's ability to sustain itself and the dichotomy that exists when looking for work outside of the company. Hello, I'm SDCF producing director Ellen Rusconi, and you are listening to SDCF Masters of the Stage. This program is produced by the Stage Directors and Choreographers Foundation and presented by the American Theater Wing. Um, we're just going to start with Oliver. Um, can, you know, can you tell us a little bit, can you take us through the trajectory of your career? Sure. And uh, can I just ask, is, is everyone in the room a director? Are these all, everyone's a director? Cool. Um, great, just so I know who I'm talking to. Um, I started the Debate Society in 2004 with Hannah Boss and Paul Thoreen. Um, when I first moved to New York City, I started a company. I first moved to New York City in 99. My mother is an actor, uh, Pamela Peyton Wright. I don't know if anyone knows her. She worked in the American theater for years, so I sort of grew up backstage. When I came to New York... I um, I started a company with some friends from college, and that sort of that fell apart very quickly. Uh, after well, not too quickly, but after two or three years, I realized I was working with friends and not sort of aesthetic um, aesthetic partners. Um, I'm still friends with everyone who I worked with there, but that sort of fell apart right when I met Hannah and Paul. Um, and I met Hannah and Paul when they were having a reading of a play that they had created collaboratively in college, and they were doing a reading of it in the basement of the drama bookshop uh, in preparation for doing a, I think that was in 2003, and they were going to do a 2004 production. And I saw the reading, and something in it really spoke to me. I just, like, I absolutely loved it. I loved them. Uh, the piece was this, like, strange mishmash of little pieces of uh, Russian poetry, and they were amazing. And um, I asked them to work with them, and uh, they told me no. They were like, we, we don't want a director. We, you know, maybe we want an outside eye to come and, uh, to come and work. Are you, are you Jack? I'm Jack, yeah. Hey, I'm Oliver. Nice to meet you. <laughs> Good to meet you. Sorry. No, you should get your intro, too. <laughs> That's she did new. a great intro. You, you, got, you, you weren't you, here. You continue. But, no, it's okay. Saying. We just started. Okay, yeah, we just started. started. kind of taking us through his career track, um, how he found it. I'm going to be talking for the next half hour, so I just want to make sure we say hello. Love it. Um, yeah, so I went up to them, and I said, I want to work with you, and they said no, and I was like, they were like, maybe an outside eye, and I was like, well, I think, you know, I could do that, but I think I'd be more useful as a director to you, you know, as someone who's, like, actually in the room with a voice. And I made them dinner, and I, I wooed them slowly, and um, I think they, they realized there'd be value in it. And I knew that they had this, like, really personal relationship, this personal uh, creative relationship. They're not in, a, in an, an intimate relationship. Um, but their creative relationship is sort of very, very specific, and they sort of talk in what they call, like, twin talk. They sort of 
they would say things to each other and I wouldn't even understand what they were saying and sometimes they would sort of uh, they would contradict each other and then agree on the contradiction there, there was like a lot of stuff that as an outsider I realized was like very unique to them and I um, I decided that what I'd do is I would spend a month in rehearsal just watching them work and then the second month I'd start speaking and like getting involved I mean it wasn't like an oath of silence or anything but I just would generally I wasn't trying to add too much to the party and we uh, we did that I spent a month watching them and then I spent a month turning their half hour piece into an hour long show it was called A Thought About Raya and um we produced it at the Red Room Theater uh, down on East 4th Street, which I think is closed or is closing now. It's like one of those, like, rent, you know, we were like the 10 o'clock show, you know, and there was an 8 o'clock show, and you have to rip everything down. But we did that show there for four weeks, and on the final weekend, um, we got a call from the theater owner, and he said uh, the theater's been shut down by the fire marshal. And that was like, we'd had a really good run, very exciting. We weren't a company yet. We were just making a play together. Um, and we had all friends and family coming in from out of town. And basically, as of 4 o'clock in the afternoon on a Friday, the show was was could not happen there. So about an hour and a half later, we were standing in the one theater that we knew was available, the Clemente Soto Velez space. Um, we found out through a friend that it was available. We are standing there, and we said, you know, are, should we just rent this and move the show here? And I said, guys, look, we've had a great run. Let's not ruin it by, like, rushing over here and, like, blowing this thing up and like the, for, like, two more shows. And for maybe the only time we've ever voted on something, Hannah and Paul were like, we should do this. And I said, okay. And uh, we did. We went and got all the money we could out of ATMs. That was, like, back when ATMs would only dispense, like, $100 at a time. So we were, like, went to every ATM in the neighborhood and, like, pulled out all the money, handed them <laughs> cash, canceled the show that night, and then spent the whole next day retacking it in in that space and did it. Everyone came. It was like it was sort of a big success for us. We got all of our rental money back because it wasn't our fault that it got shut down. We ended that show with uh, a handful of money and a relatively successful first production. And it was at that point that we decided. Um, well, it wasn't at that point. It was like that ended, and a few months later, we were like, why don't we do another show? Okay, well, if we're going to do another show, maybe we should have a name so we just don't call ourselves like Hannah, Paul, and Oliver's Theater Company. And so we could apply for maybe some grants. But we didn't really want a company. Uh, I didn't want a company having just come out of like what was sort of like a quickly failed first company. Um, we didn't want the bureaucracy that went along with it. We all had friends who had companies who, like, they were, like, destroying themselves, you know, or you'd go and you'd, like, volunteer at your friend's gala and, like, you just get treated like crap, you know. I mean, it was just sort of like we were anti-company. But we decided if we were going to have a company that we would just sort of do it our way. And we spent a lot of time coming up with the name, made that sort of a, a big deal, was making sure that we gave ourselves a name that would, would be colored by the work, not something that, like, told you exactly what it was. Um, you know, something that could sort of mature with the company. Um, and then we made, yeah, we made another play, and then we just kept making plays. And so from that point, I won't go through my entire life, but we've always been super playmaking focused. The company exists to make plays and produce plays. 
So we are an authorial trio. I'm one of the authors, even though Hannah and Paul are credited as the writers, and they are the writers. But I spend a year and a half to two years with them developing an idea from nothing to something. Um, and uh, because of that, I'm, I'm an equal creator. And uh, we put almost all of the resources of the company into the making of the plays. So therefore, every play that we've written, we've produced. Um, and now we just continue to produce. That's that's my quick-ish thing. <laughs> <laughs> and Jack? So, uh, just... Career trajectory. Trajectory. Yeah. Um, How did you wind up here? I, um, well, I moved to New York in 96. Um out of graduate school, I went to the University of Virginia and got my MFA in directing. My undergraduate degree was not in theater, so, and I wanted to go to school so that I could practice a lot on full productions with someone else's dime. <laughs> so, and I remember in school, I tried to do the biggest shows that I could, um, <laughs> with like the fullest resources possible. But then I moved to New York, um, I was engaged, and, um, it's obviously difficult, and so the, I kind of fell into working at the Lark um, Play Development Center. It was called the Lark Theater then, because John Eisner is a friend of mine, and so I ended up kind of getting a crash course on developing new work, um, new plays, um, and occasional musical uh, with them. And um, basically, you know, it, it was hard. I felt, in my perception, it was very difficult to get hired anywhere, and it was difficult to get hired without New York reviews. Um, and so um, that was always kind of on my mind. I didn't know what I was going to do about that. Um, and um, so I love John, I love the Lark, and I love everything they stand for, and I worked with them closely for about three years. And, you know, I, I kind of wanted to give back to them, and I didn't have any money, so I said, well, let me, um, let me do a, a benefit... Uh, like a, bene a Christmas holiday benefit, you know, of something, and um, it'll at least pay for a party to thank all the volunteers for the year. So I'd had this idea um, uh, of, uh, for our town where, um, and it was just something I wanted to try, and I was like, I'll just try it with this benefit and get it out of my system. And it was a, it was a production where the George and Emily were played by um, actors in their, like, late 60s, and then the stage manager was a 12-year-old girl, um, and then everyone else was like 30. So it was like three distinct like ages. I just wanted to see what it was like. And um, so we did it, and it was actually really, um, it was a great night, <laughs> one night run. And then um, we did it the next year. And then at that point, um, I just wanted to kind of do a full production um, to get that out of my system, and since it had been kind of tested. So a friend of mine that I'd gone to graduate school with, who was an actress, um, we met, and I said, was, um, will you uh, produce this with me? And she was playing Mrs. Webb. And um, that was one meeting. And like the next meeting, we decided that if we're going to all this trouble, let's, let's just start a company. Um, because we both knew there, was other, there were other ideas we had besides this one idea. So that was really how... Um, that, was, that was our first production um, in, in the winter of 2002. We had... Um, oh, thanks. Um... We've, we, the idea for the company was like in the like winter of 2001, and then our fundraising was all in the fall of 2001. Just can you imagine what that was like? And um, 
it was incredibly difficult, as you can imagine, trying to do all that because no one wanted to raise money or give money to anything other than the big event. And so that was really hard. And I remember thinking, if I have to read this play with a flashlight and a gutter to three rats, like, we're doing it. <laughs> I was, like, determined to get it done. And, um, and we did. And that was, that was the beginning of the company. So that was 10 years ago. So we're kind of in our 12th season right now. Um, and that was kind of how the company began. The first couple years were... Um, we decided that our motto was going to be kind of slowly but surely. So we did one show a year. Um, and um, it wasn't until about five years into it that we did two shows a year, um, which is kind of where we are right now. We did do a third show one time. Um, and um, it was, um, yeah, I think that's it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> just, there was something else I was going to say, and it just went out of my head. But... Um, uh, yeah, oh, we decided to, that's what I want to say, we decided that we were not going to, that we, our focus was going to be on full productions and that the design elements and everything were going to be as important as anything else. So we were not going to be a company that did, um, and this is just us, you know, and I'd come from the Lark, I was like, well, they do it great, so I'm not going to try to double up. But we were not going to do reading series, we were not going to do reading festivals, anything like that that is a little bit more the norm and, and valuable, that we were going to just put all of our focus on, like, Full, fully realized productions. So then how does your company, and I'll, and I'll ask this in view of all of afterwards, how does your company then choose the work of it? I mean, our mission determines a lot of it. Um, and our mission, I tried to make it what interests me, but broad enough, you know, that, so our mission is, ba is very simple. It's um, 20th and 21st century American authors, American work, um, and um, it can be play or musical, a revival or a new work, um, but that it's all about exploring the kind of American experience throughout the 20th and 21st centuries. And you have a pretty firm structure in place, it seems, for your pro for your current project, the 20th century project. Is that yes? Which mean? we've done. We've done. We've started. You know. Um, what is the 20th century the, project? Uh, 20th century project is it's a it's a series of 10 productions that will focus each on a different decade in the 20th century. And it's a combination of commissioned pieces and revivals. And it's a, within that, there's a combination of musicals and plays. So our first, 1900-1910, was the uh, musical we did with Michael John Lacusa called Queen of the Mist. So it was about the woman that went over Niagara Falls in a barrel in 1901. So it kind of centered on that time in this country. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so we're moving slowly forward. A lot of a lot of our plays, uh, most uh, all of our plays play in some not all almost all of our plays play in some form of Americana as well. Uh -huh. And we, we didn't set out to write a play in every single uh, decade, but our plays do exist in very. Um, we have our '80s play, we have our oh, '30s really? play, our '40s play, our '70s play. Um, we've sort of ended up doing that, and our the play that we most recently developed at. Um, Sundance, The Light Years, is about the 1893 World's Fair. Mm. So sort of that 19... You know, right before that 1901. Century, yeah. So maybe there's some overlapping. I know, right? There. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there could be, yeah. yeah. And how do you guys select what choose the work that you do? Well, yeah, we make it all. Um, 
it is uh, our plays are completely from whatever Hannah Paul and I are most interested in at the time and we indulge uh, a very intuitive process in selecting what the subject of the play is um, usually involves the three of us in its like most vacuum sort of isolated form even though it's never this clean we all come with something we're very excited about and we start talking and we try and find a seed of inspiration to make a play about but that our, our way into finding that initial starting point can come from all over the place and we just we allow ourselves to indulge this really long period of not knowing what something is going to be um, but still move forward and we'll try and find overlaps uh, between things that uh, excite all three of us. So, for instance, we have this play, Buddy Cop 2. This is the most clean example of this happening. So it's not exactly what happens every single time. But Buddy Cop 2 came from, I had an interest in doing a play that involved onstage squash uh, because of a book uh, that I had found for, on another project I was working on by this squash player named Khan is a sort of international squash phenomenon and like he wrote this book about the game of squash but in broken English he wrote it in English but didn't have didn't have anyone sort of like clean it up so it had this like great sort of like stilted quality to it that and the idea of playing real squash on stage Hannah wanted to do a play that involved a 1980s female cop character and Paul was really interested in the sadness of Christmas and we didn't we we didn't we didn't come to the table and say okay now those are that's going to be one play how do we make let's make that all one play uh, cuz yeah we just don't do that but what we did is through talking about those ideas and mining them further and researching each other's ideas we ended up creating our own mythology of this small midwestern town that where the uh, police station had been relocated to the racquetball court, I know racquetball and squash are different, but it changed to racquetball, had been relocated to a racquetball, uh, you know, recreation center where they were celebrating Christmas in August for a little girl who's dying of cancer. So it's Christmas, but it's not Christmas. It's a police station, but it's not a police station. Um, we ended up over a long period of time sort of making this mythology that excited all three of us. That is the cleanest example of it, so it's the one I use a lot, but all of our plays have some sort of version of that. One of our plays is based on a Norwegian folktale that came from Paul's Norwegian heritage that sort of excited us. One of our plays is based on the Decameron, which is uh, you know Giovanni Boccaccio's opus, um, and specifically stories about people eating each other or being eaten or being consumed. Um, anyway, so the way we pick stuff is literally it has everything to do with what excites us. Now, we used to do a play a year as well, or a play, every, oh, one play at a time. Um, and what's happened recently, because we've been lucky enough to get some sort of overlapping opportunities, is we've started developing things at the same time. So blood play which is about Jewish families moving to the suburbs in the 1950s in Chicago, that was being made at the same time as The Light Years, which is about the 1893 and the 1933 World's Fairs in Chicago. So those are the first two plays that have sort of affected each other in their creation, both being Chicago plays. We also have, we have this inside joke that we continue to make unfinished trilogies, 
Um, or now we're starting to talk about like four part trilogies just to be sort of, uh, I don't know, silly about it. But it's like we, we are we are drawn to the idea that each of our plays are sort of a reaction to the previous play. So we've started like grouping them in, um, in different ways. But that's also a similarity to how Jack was saying he started because, you know, he was saying slowly but surely yeah. you guys kind of did one play at a time and now it seems like you, you figured out that process as much as you can. When Jack said that, it felt very much the same way. Like we, we decided early on we didn't say slowly but surely, but we, I think we've, we've always talked about sort of playing the long game, mm-hmm. you know, that, um, and this actually also came, I, I've had two, uh, I've had three assistantships in my life. One of them was with Joe Bonney, one was with Pam McKinnon, one was with John Rando. And uh, it was Joe Bonney who I think said, I think it was or said to me, uh, you know, create a body of work. You know, when I was much, when I was younger, you know, I, I felt, a lot about like there's no opportunities I can't get anyone to hire me I can't you know I can't get anyone to want to like do my work and therefore every show that I did like had to somehow like change had to somehow like make my career Mm -hmm. and as soon as she said to me you know create a body of work work on the body of work it immediately turned my mind to like long game and be like in the long term I always win you know like short term I might lose a lot but long term like I'll always you always win if you wait you know and work long enough I guess yeah was it hard though in New York especially when you're starting out to have that kind of restraint and to not feel like you needed to do everything now I mean I get that a lot um, I get that a lot with people who you know people who are just out of college and on their observership application they 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 want to be on a Broadway show they make it clear that that's why they're applying to the observership program. They haven't done anything yet, but they want to be on a Broadway show. Hmm. It, was it hard for you guys to have that kind of restraint? Did you feel like you're never going to get ahead? I remember feeling really, I mean, I, I still feel this way to a degree, but I don't feel like it in as such a bad way as I used to. I feel like I've, I've gotten more patient as I've gotten older, but I remember feeling like just tons and tons of like, like impatience and like anger and you know it isn't until recently I think that I've understood that you know this is like common sense but it was hard to explain it to my 27 year old self that you know it's such a scary endeavor you know live theater like scary like let's just say for the producers or the decision makers the gatekeepers and so they're just like scared about everything. Everybody's like scared all the time, and it's like <laughs> it's like a city running around in fear. And if you make like if you make the wrong decision, like if you look at the people that create a play, right? If you make the wrong decision in an actor or designer or or someone or musical director, it's not great. But it's not as bad as if you make the wrong decision on a director. And if you make the wrong decision on a director. Like, the whole house can be blown up, you know? So I understand now, and I don't t- I don't feel it as personal the way I used to, like, kind of, I don't know, I just like, the world's against me, and I used to get feeling really personal about it, and now I'm like, it's not personal. It's just, that's that's just, like, the way it is, and they're just fearful, and, you know, sometimes, sometimes I feel like they would rather go with a person who is maybe not going to be as, like, Daring because it just allows them to sleep a little bit better at night, you know, <laughs> that it's going to be 
like, who do we want, like, watching our house while we're away on vacation? Like, the nice next-door kid <laughs> who's going to, like, you know, water your plants and things like that, you know? And so I, I totally understand that now, and I don't take it... I don't feel the same way about it that I, I used to. So I've gotten, like, more accepting and ingrained. And I think as I've gotten older, I've, I've tried to expand my, like, personal life a little bit more and not, you know, make it as as tunnel vision as it was so I feel like that's given me more patience and acceptance you know I'm uh, I I think two things sort of keep me going because I I'm, I have to go like a full 180 on what I said about like think about it think about thinking about the body of work somehow like brought me calm but at the same time I do realize that's not exactly how I work like because also, that specific play has to be everything, um, and and I think I think that actually it's somehow like the drama of my career, where now I feel a little bit better, tiny tiny bit better, about like how I deal with the sort of fluctuations in my career and like the my career arc, is the ability to actually manage the drama between like the body of work mental and the this has to change my life now, this has to be my best work now, and that it actually has to be those two completely opposite things at the same time, um, I think has somehow they, like, solve each other, you know? Because obviously I wouldn't get anything done if I was like, it's all right, you know, long term, you know? But also it's just, like, you get burned out, and it it's hard or earlier, it's hard earlier to see that there's going to be more time. Um, and that the failures are going to actually be like a part of a larger, more interesting tapestry, you know. But also realizing the things you can control and the things that you just yeah. can't, you know. Yeah. Like I don't. We all have like our feelings about reviews, but I used to have like feelings about reviews, and <laughs> you know. And now I just have like feelings <laughs> about them, you know. That I feel like are a little bit normal and not insane, mm-hmm. you know. And that everything would be predicated upon them and now I think as I've just come to realize that most of them are not being read by anybody so <laughs> I'm like you know I mean I look at them from like a business perspective you yeah. know and you know for like the five minutes in which my ego was either like lifted up or cr- crushed as a result of them but I feel like I don't hang on to that stuff as much you know I mean I do but I it used to be, like, really bad. <laughs> well, and it's interesting because the normal feelings also about reviews, like, a lot of people have that response. You know, sometimes the normal feelings about reviews actually are, not sometimes, I mean, a lot of them are very intense and very... Mm-hmm. David Cromer, I mean, I couldn't believe his response about reviews. You think, this guy won a MacArthur Award. How can he right. be so effective? But, you know, that's human nature, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, so in terms of that... Uh, sorry... Uh, was it harder to start the company, or is it harder now to maintain it? I find it, right now, you're catching me at a, not a great period, but I find it intensely, intensely difficult and challenging to maintain it right now. And is that, is I feel like I'm white-knuckling it, and I don't, I don't remember feeling that like at the beginning or in the first couple of years. And I would assume that that's tied also to being the founder as opposed to being the mm-hmm. artistic director. That True, yeah. There's a different kind of connection, I think, when you mm-hmm. found something and you were the artistic director. Yeah, yeah. 
And why do you think it's so hard now? Well, I feel like you, I mean, we have like, we've gone through a bit of a growth spurt like the last, I'm sorry, I keep like looking. <laughs> we keep going, we've gone through like a growth spurt of a certain level and you don't want to take any steps backwards. And at the same time, you're being realistic, you know? I mean, I think our office is like, like this and like a little bit of that. Like, it's like, it's insane. And, but I'm like, I'm totally fine with that actually, because I'm not a big materialistic person when it comes to that stuff. But, you know, um, it's, I, 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 it feels as if the way like funding or, or even just private donors used to be, this is my like view, there's some accuracy in it I think, is that donors, well New York is a very like, um, like, you know, what's in it for me? I mean I think the culture at large is like that, but I think New York is like, you know, what's in it for me? And what's the appearance factor? And what am I going to get out of this? And I feel like years ago, do donating to a donating at all was a little bit more a little bit more of like, well, it's just the right thing to do. And now it's like, no, what's in it for me? And so, if you're a company like us that does not have seats or a building, and I, you know, we're not, you know, we're not employing Cynthia Nixon to be in our show, I don't have a lot of like. I have art to offer the people. I don't have like a lot of like s super a type of New York sex appeal to offer people, and so as a result, I find that the the philanthropic giving is like incredibly more difficult. And you know, there's also like the you know the way the economy and, and just funding in general. But I feel like people. It's like there's like the big guys, like the public and second stage and playwrights and so forth. And you know, I mean, they're tons older than us and you know, more established. But I feel like, and then there's like us, and I feel like there's this huge gap in between. And I feel like all the funding tends to go there um, as far as people making like significant contributions. And so that's what I, I mean. It, it, earlier, you know, our overhead was X, and most of our, our budget, I can tell you right now, is like, 75% of it is on the work, you know. And, um, but now it's, um, it's just, you know, there's, we have higher expectations, you know, and I don't think we've gotten o uberly, like, over, you know, um, our productions are crazy expensive, but we do have contracts with every single union, including 802, and you know your pension, everything you pay anybody, you know. And I, I don't want to do a show with a crate, <laughs> you know. Um, so there, and and uh, yeah, it's you're you're always asking favors, and you're always asking people to work for like well below. And you know, most of the time they understand it, but yeah, the two actors are working for us now had never really had never done a show for us, and they had never really worked in like this level of nonprofit theater and when they got the offer our LOA agreement they were like it was like they didn't know the world existed like this yeah. and like walking by like a store and then peering inside and it was like a sweatshop like <laughs> 10 year old kids and you're like oh my god I didn't know people did this you know so I, I, I felt like that um, <laughs> as well being the son of an actor you know I look at I look at the work my mother's done over her life and then you look at like what she gets I mean she should be like 
in any other industry, this is like senior level executive, <laughs> president, partner. You know what I mean? And like you're like you're getting like lemonade stand wages. You know what I mean? Like no no diss, but like in in New York, the rates are terrible. You know what I mean? Like it is. It's just amazing when you realize like what right the top you know the top contenders are getting paid. Yeah, I uh, I'm glad you said uh, now is harder because I was going to say earlier in getting it started was harder. Mm. But then hearing you speak, I feel like I might be about to move into where you are and then I'll change. Because <laughs> getting started wasn't super easy, but when I think of it now, and maybe I'm older, I'm like 12 years older, <laughs> I'm old, you know, and I'm like, maybe my fatigue level, my like stamina level is different too. I mean, we, we don't have an office uh, yet. Uh, right now, our big evolution is to go from doing all the business of our company in our apartments to having that like four by four desk. Mm-hmm and hiring a producer or general manager to uh, manage the business of the company, which I think is a big step that ever, like a lot of companies take and want to happen for a lot of time and dream of that imaginary person who's going to come along and, like, do all that shit you hate <laughs> um, and do it better than you can do it, you know. Um, the reason I say the earlier part was harder was I have distinct memories of sort of no momentum you have this feeling that like i mean we're in the business where like you disappear as soon as you're done basically even at the highest level and that's frustrating and like for me i I don't want to disappear but in the early phases i felt like you were gone before you started like you couldn't get any momentum and i think something that keeps that at least eradicates that a little bit now is that um we get a little bit, we get more offers of help and interest uh, without having to do as much work. Um, that's not for everything. It's just I know there are things we're being offered because we've been here long enough, and that feels like it's drawing me forward versus at the very beginning you just sort of felt like, well, we'll just do another show because who cares? Let's do another show. Like, no one's going to stop us. No one's going to, you know. Um, it felt more like self-originated. Yeah. So, uh, from both a craft and career perspective, has having these companies helped or hurt your career as a director? Or, I mean, I'm sure it's a mixture of both. So, I, how, what's that? Mixture? I don't think I would have. I would have some sort of a career. I don't. I, I don't know. I, you know, what, I'll go on record and say I don't think I'd still be directing if I hadn't started the company. So, would you be involved in theater somehow? I don't know. I'd probably be a chef or, like, I'd work on a boat or something. I, I, I really don't know. I mean, I grew up in the theater. I didn't want to go into the theater as a kid because I saw how, like, how well, how hard it was, like, from the inside. So I, I didn't, like, I can't say I was, like, I really wanted to go into theater as a kid. And then I found my way back in. I realized I loved it. And I loved directing. Um, but I just, I, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to know what your life would have been, but I, I don't think I would have that. Th- I wouldn't have any of the things I have without the debate society. All of the value, all of the collateral that I have uh, to lay down, as far as like um, for people to trust me uh, outside of the theater, outside of my theater company where I hire myself, it has to do with the quality of the work that I've been able to do with Hannah and Paul. So that is what I pl- like. That is. That's where I get that. But yet you assisted three high-profile directors, and that was presumably before they had seen your work at the Debate Society? Yeah, I mean, pretty much. Like, Joe Bonney had worked with my mom. 
Pam McKinnon I met through the Lincoln Center Director's Lab. I mean, that was, and that was my last assistantship, and that was in 2007. So that was, um, yeah, I, she, she saw, she hadn't seen my work. So it does sound like you had some credibility without the that's my only point. I mean, yeah, yeah, I guess so. I mean, but I, it, not for doing. Yeah, I guess so. It, it was personal. Uh, yeah, it was definitely driven. Those opportunities were driven by personal relationships. Mm-hmm. Interviewing Pam as a part of the Lincoln Center Directors Lab. Somehow she remembered me like two years later, and at the same time, Linda Chapman at New York Theater Workshop had my resume. You know, it was just like somehow those two things overlapped, and they called me for like my first paid assistantship, you know. Um, so, yeah, a, a little bit. I just don't think any of that was... I would I would do everything differently, I feel like, also. <laughs> I'm glad... I'm, I'm so glad with what I have, but, like, I look at some of the younger directors I see now, like, directors who, like, sometimes approach me to assist me, and I'm like, wow, you've got it put together. You're, like, seeing a lot of shows, and then you're coming up to people like me and telling me you like my work. And, of course, I'll remember you because I like being liked. And, uh, you know, I will look for opportunities for you. You know, it's like, I, I don't think I, 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 if I went back in time, I would see a lot more work, and I would personally reach out to more people who I really, really liked. Because, I mean, the same way that sweatshop thing, it's like everybody's accessible. I mean, maybe you can't, like, call Julie Tamar, Julie Tamor, but, like, um, you know, maybe she's sort of, like, outside of reach, but, like, everyone is within reach. And I'm realizing that now watching these, like, younger directors, just, like, they just, like, go right up to the person. And they're like, I love your work. I want to work with you. And then now they're working with them, you know? So it's, Somehow yeah. I feel like this generation understands that the way that, like, certainly my generation. No, me, I'm with you. I, like, no. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'd rather no, die than, like, approach somebody. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I come from a, you know, I think we're the same, where, like, I feel like the boldness <laughs> of just approaching somebody or walking up to them is, like, very, like, makes, I'm very shy about that, you know. Um, but yet it's a very good way to be. Oh, it's, it's amazing, but I look at the, I look at the generation beneath me, or two generations beneath me, and it does feel yeah. like, yeah, I, I wish I had some of what they had. <laughs> so, in terms, so, Jack, what about you? What, do you feel like having the company has helped yeah, you? Yeah, I mean, or? I feel... I mean, I'm dying to freelance, and I'm starting to, but it's taken forever. But I do feel like all of my collateral is because of the company, so I am, I'm always kind of torn. And there's always a bit of a guilt in, like, you know, um, this isn't a show, but I'm directing the drama desk ceremony at the town hall, you know, and, like, at a meeting for that, I'm like, oh, I should be at my office, you know. <laughs> but I'm, like, you know, cheating or something. But, um... But everyone I, at, my, at my company always feels like it's great when I kind of go outside because then whatever I, the relationships I bring back are incredibly important. But um, I know for a long time, and I know it for a fact because my agent told me, um, everyone just felt like... I never lied. I know. <laughs> this was not this wasn't a nice thing. So, But he's like, you know, he said people are very confused and they think that I only do, you know, work with my company which on one hand I understand why they would think that but so we in any way that he or I or anyone I can let know that that's not the case um, we try to let know and that's I think that's all you can do and I'm, I'm starting to do a couple of projects so I'm hoping that like that will send signals to like you know it's not I hope you know that it's it's doable that I can do outside work 
I, I have the yeah. exact same challenge. Um, and I, I was really surprised by that, that reaction. Mm-hmm. Like, just for the amount of plays that I've directed and produced with my company, I feel like I wasn't prepared for the, well, you can do that, but can you direct a play? Right, right. You know? Yeah. And for us, because we make the plays as well, I guess there's, like, a perception that, like, we're doing, like, some sort of, like, really, like, strange sort of thing, you know? And maybe we fan the flames of that a little bit because it's helpful to be, like, unique in the world. I think our, our process is unique, but, like, uh, yeah. It, Can you it, be normal? Yeah, yeah, it's a little <laughs> bit like, but how about if you just have a script? Can you direct that? You know, and, and my, my feeling, I try not to, like, say this in any negative way, but my feeling is, like, I do that. That's the last 10% of what I do. You know what I mean? I, I do 90% to get up to that place, you know, and then I, and then I, do, I do that. Um, may, yeah. Anyway, so it, it is an uphill battle, and I think maybe, possibly, what we're talking about is, like, the world does seem to want to put you in some sort of a box, and that's helpful. It's helpful for me to be, like, devised theater guy, you know? I got this job at Ars Nova working with this Philadelphia ensemble because I was like, I have my own ensemble. I could work with them to make a new play. Um, So I get the benefits of that, but it's also frustrating when you're like, you know, I'm really excited about this script. This, you know, there is, there's no reason that my history should work against me in this, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But that goes to that fear, that fear uh, concept that Jack was talking about because nobody wants to take the chance because the director, the wrong director, can yeah. stop a show dead in its right. tracks. Which is we why, like, show, we, the- I mean, I guess why we, like, started company. I mean, that's when you said that. I felt like, yeah, I started a company with Hannah and Paul because we weren't going to sit around and wait for someone to tell me when, you know, when we could work. Um, we wanted to make the plays. Um, and when you have particular ideas, you know, that are a little odd, um, like now, I have we're doing a show next year. This is old play called "I Remember Mama." I don't know if any of you know, not the musical, but um, the play. And we're doing this very kind of like weird, weird take on it. And I'm like, and I really want to do it. <laughs> We've done like a week workshop of it, and I'm like, I can't. I'm just saying, true for your work, like you can't. It's very hard to bring that to somebody and be like, will you do this? And you know, so I'm like, so if I didn't have the company. <laughs> I don't know what I do. I don't, I don't know, you know, right. go insane yeah. a little bit because then you have, you have these things that you want to explore that you just wouldn't be able to explore. And that I have friends who are freelancers and you know are fine, you know. But I mean, the freelance projects that I'm doing are ones that were you know brought to me. But I I I, I feel like I'm loving them as much as the other work. But I feel like I. I definitely realize now enough that I, need, I do need access to both, you know, both yeah. worlds, as tough as it may be, but I, I'm knowing that about myself now. That might be the key, too, because I think what I was talking about was, like, institutions seem to want to, like, compartmentalize you, but playwrights, you know, if they like your work, I, I don't think I get any hassle from playwrights saying, like, but can you work with my play if they've seen the work and they see what I do? So it's like, when the work comes to me and comes through a playwright, I feel like I feel like that's where my sort of like tandem career directing scripted plays is definitely going to come from is the relationship with, with writers I love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oliver's going to leave in a couple minutes, so if anybody has specific questions, oh, yeah, for him, sorry, but I guys. do want to ask you before you leave about this this touring. 
Oh, yeah. Because how did that come about? How did you set that up? You know, everybody wants to get people to come in and see their work. And we Listen, we've wanted to tour. All I've wanted to do is travel from, like, the beginning. I think I got into theater because I thought I could travel more. Um, seriously, I was just like, I have just wanted to do projects in amazing places um, and work with artists all over the place. So we've been trying to tour forever. And we have, we, our model has always been, do a big play in New York, get as mu- many reviews as possible, and then use those reviews to try and get like people to like take us on after that. And um, we've had, you know, we did we did a show in Austin, we did a workshop in Austin, we did a production in Portland, something in Syracuse, one off, two or three week runs, but none of that. Like, I just wanted to be like weary with touring, and it never happened. Um, with Blood Play. I mean, I feel like there's a little bit of a cheat, but also it was a godsend. It was just like uh, we applied for this NIFA touring grant um, that we applied for once and didn't get, but through applying for that, developed a relationship with Mark Russell at Under the Radar. Um, like, because of the way that grant works, you get paired up with someone who, like, sort of speaks on your behalf. He became our friend, got interested in the company, lost that grant, applied again, and got it for blood play. And then, be, while having the, knowing that we would have this grant in support of future tours, uh, ahead of time, we developed the play and started marketing the play for touring uh, before the show even happened in New York. So the New York production was built with subsidy money from that to be easily disassembled and reassembled so that we could quickly take what was a pretty... You know, it's a, it's, it's a complex set. It was a very complex set with, like, a lot of moving parts. Uh, but we built it in a way that it could be easily uh, loaded in and loaded out so that we left our New York production with something, like, already figured out and relationships moving towards touring. And then we got Under the Radar. Under the Radar led to we did uh, the Next Thing Festival in Boston. Um, and then from that, Jenny uh, at Williamstown, uh, I met in 1998 when I was an apprentice there. She was working under Michael Ritchie, who I was there as an apprentice because of my mom's relationship uh, as an actress, Michael Ritchie, who was a stage manager and artistic director there. So it was sort of like a little bit family at the beginning. Jenny went off and did a whole bunch of other stuff and then returned to Williamstown, and I was there last year as the Fuller Fellow. So it was through that like rekindling of the relationship with her and with uh, Williamstown that then I just made a call this spring while we were in the midst of sort of looking at future tours and said, you know, I have this, I have this show. You, she saw it. She was there at the one in, in Bushwick. And we, uh, yeah, she, uh, you know, over the course of a month or whatever, sort of figured it out. Something happened, and we ended up with a show there. But it was long game. It was long game. You know, like that's like I, I consider that. Like, a, that was like 14 years, you know, of <laughs> development for, for this. <laughs> Planning and everything. Uh, for, for either of you, uh, let's say you uh, have a script you're going to self-produce. Throwing a number out there, say you have, you know, $50,000, $100,000, whatever. Um, what do you think the most important things would be to spend on if you're considering where your money's going to go for one of your uh, early productions. Do you mind if I answer this yeah, and then leave? Because yeah, I'm yeah. going to go. Um, tell me what your goal is with the fifty thousand. Uh, let's say, uh, let's say, uh, um, 
sh- a showcase or even a small like LOA off Broadway production? Like, where would you mostly think it, it important to spend your money? Are you I rep. Uh, yeah, uh, we we made a decision. We made a decision early on to always pay ourselves, but that meant. Uh, on the snow and our second play, Hannah Paul and I paid ourselves $10 each. Everyone else got a lot more money, but that was all we had left, but we'd agreed to it. So one, I would say decide to pay every artist working on the project, right, until it's like actual like living, not living, but living-ish wage. Pay everyone, I think, the same, basically. Um, I, I, that's just sort of where I went was like until we hit a threshold, we're all going to sort of eat it, you know? Um Definitely spend money on, like, a good press rep because I feel like if you're going to go through all the trouble, make sure that you get some ink on the production. I think that even when we were paying ourselves $10, I spent 2500 on a, a press person for the snow hat. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, 50000 is actually a pretty solid budget, by the way. <laughs> so, like, I'm thinking, like, you know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah, I would say... Um. Yeah, I would say personnel, and then, yeah, I, I don't think I have any other silver bullets other than like definitely spend it on definitely spend it on on press. Cool. Uh, I, and you, you know what? Uh, transportation during like tech. Think of uh, this is one thing. If people are going to come and work for favors, you know, which you're going to have to do at any sort of maybe not fifty thousand dollar budget, but you know, the twenty or $15,000 budget, they're going to come work for favors. There's a lot of shit that can, like, create stress in the job. I feel like throw some, like, cab money in for, like, late tech nights. Uh, buy everyone, uh, have, like, a food budget during tech if you can because I find that, like, if I feed people, then, like, I don't get as much hassle on the back end when it's, like, 12 o'clock and they got to stay late. And you'll spend, like, 40 or 50 bucks on, like, food for everyone, but they're, like, no one does that. So, like, you sort of, like, earn a certain amount of, like, extra love that way. Um, yeah, that's what I'd say. Awesome. I'm so sorry to have to walk yeah, out. No. It's so good to meet thank you, you and great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, thank you, thank you so much. I appreciate it. I, I think I, I agree with the press rep. I think that the, the space where you are and the production values, you just don't want to make it look like if you're getting ink on it, you don't want to have it look junior. <laughs> you know, even though it's a showcase, that doesn't mean anything. It's like, it's a production, it's a production. Um, you know, in proportion to the, what the needs are, but if it's a little too black drapey, then <laughs> that'll feel not, that'll feel a little sad. So, right. I, don't be shy about putting something in there. Cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, now, I, now I have to look at which question it was yeah, I asked yeah. Oliver that I didn't ask you. <laughs> That's right. Um, well, I did want to ask you, because you have artists that you work with again and again. Mm-hmm. I'm very unlike Oliver. I mean, they work as a team again and right. again. But you really have developed a, a, a group of artists who are kind of special to the transport group. Mm-hmm. Um, and how did you go about doing that? And, and is it deliberate the size of that circle? You know, um... I mean, I like to think that, I mean, there are certain actors that have done several shows with us, um, just from an acting point of view. I'm always loving when we have new actors come come in, which is, you know, most every show, but, like, 
there are a couple of actors that have done like five or six shows with us, so it seems like there's a company, but they're they're not. It usually just happened that they were just happened to be right for those projects kind of in a row. Um, the designers, um, I'm a very kind of like design-centric director, and so I work with a team. Um, expands every now and then, but it's it's a core team that I work with, you know, over and over again. So it's a real like meaty collaboration. I feel, um, and um, but uh, you know, I'm tr- I'm trying to broaden us. You know, every um, the entire team on the show right now, uh, except for the director and two of the designers, are all new to the company. Like the, it's oh, their wow. first show with us. Yeah. Does that make um, it harder though? A little I mean, I bit. Apart yeah. Too, no, sorry. it does. Um, it does. It's always you know we don't have a lot of money like everybody else, and so. If, you know, my team, you know, there's there's a bit of a shorthand with that. There's a little bit of understanding. Um, there's always a bit of a st- sticker shock, you know, when new people are looking at the size of budgets, yeah. you know. And sometimes I feel like people have, and I'm flattered by it, but a little bit of a false impression that we have more or are more than we are. And I guess we work really hard to do that, but then there's always the flip side of it is that they kind of come in with thinking, oh, it's going to be this. And it's like, oh, my God, this is what you're doing this with. And so um, that's a little hard with, with new people. But I, I I do, we had one unfortunate experience where I, I, I said to myself, I need to be, now I need to be much more ultra discerning about who's coming in and out of the house. <laughs> um because it ended up upsetting my staff, you know, who were my staff, like three people, um, who, you know, are not paid well at all. And so the last thing I want to do is make their lives miserable or anyone's life miserable. I always say that things that I think we can offer if you're an artist coming to work for us, it's like it's going to be about you'll be in, in a good, safe, creative room and, um, and you will be completely respected and it's if you do one of our shows it's kind of a show to do in between other bigger jobs that are going to pay you more what you deserve but this is something that hopefully this is a chance for you to do something you wouldn't normally get the chance to do and that's what we can offer and I always tell people if this if you have something that is going to like pay your rent because you're not going to be able to pay your rent and you're going to run into big problems like then don't don't sweat it like go do that job you know um, unfortunately, I feel like bigger, more commercial shows, as much as I criticize them, they do often help subsidize our shows just by the fact, well, this actor just got off tour, so he's got a lot of money saved up, so he can do art, you know, for two or three months, you know. So that's, I've got, I've definitely, have, um, we can just pretty much offer the art and insurance weeks. <laughs> and you can offer, it seems, from your... You know, from your history, some loyalty to people yes, as well. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it seems like if an actor might want to be writing or might want to be, you know, if you can get a foot into your company. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I do feel like we're very loyal, you know. Um, I think it's one of our, our hallmarks, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. And how is your producing, I mean, I know you're, you're starting to freelance and stuff. How has your producing evolved and how will that you're producing at, at this point, like you as a founder producer. Um, like when we produce our shows, like yeah, how has my producing evolved? And or yes, how has your role in that evolved? Yeah, you know, maybe it hasn't. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it has. 
And how will it affect, you know, if now that you are trying to finance, your staff said you feel like, they feel like it's good if you're out Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. How does it affect your life, though, at Transport Group? I mean, you said you feel a little bit guilty. Right, right. Well, I'm trying to find the right balance of, like, you know, like, I can't, this person may be, like, we have a producing coordinator who's kind of new, you know, but, and there's a part of me that's to, like, lean on her a lot, you know, and then there's another part of me that's like, that's not very, the most responsible thing to do, like, at all times, you know? So, because um, I feel like the producing is probably more felt on me when, it, when I'm not directing, because I think when I'm directing my own shows, I'm just so used to doing everything myself, so that kind of feels like one. But on the shows where we, and we've only had, like, out of 20 shows, you've had three shows with guest directors. Um, and um, but two this season, and it's definitely been kind of an eye opener. And I've I've been learning as I'm going of like what all I keep thinking is like if I'm the director, what do I want from the me, you know? And um, I have certain policies. I don't um, I don't really give any like I would never show up to rehearsal without being invited. I would never, um, I don't sit there with like a pad and take notes and then like take up the director's time. You know, I hate that as a director when like an artistic director or depending on the relationship, you know, I don't do that. Um, I try to come by and be like Mother Earth and like, you know, um, what, you know, what can I do for you? You guys are doing great, you know, like. I'm going to McDonald's, how about I get everyone small french fries, or, you know, just like, anything like that. And I just try to be as encouraging as I possibly can, and I try to make them understand and feel that, like, whatever I, like, can do within the financial resources we have, like, I will do, you know. Um, and if it's a matter of, like, I didn't think we had that money, but actually I think if I borrow from Peter to pay Paul, we're going to be able to do that set, kind of the way that I know you really want it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of how I look at um, uh, my job. I feel like the, the artistic director slash producer, when it's a team that he's not directing, is there to completely make sure those artists leave, having felt good and thorough about their vision. And, um, and that's, that's kind of, you know, my goal. But there are moments when, like on a weekend, like I had to come in and like talk to a musician who was late you know, and I'm like, well, the MD, the MD talked to her. I think that's probably good enough. And then I was like, no, I got to follow through myself. <laughs> you know, I got to go down there on a Sunday afternoon and, you know, have that talk. And so there's things that I'm, I'm realizing that I have to be more present for, you know, that in one hand, I'm like, do I really have to do that? And I'm like, better to like overdo it than not, yeah, you know. Yeah, the overpresent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I am I am starting to kind of jump away a little bit, you mm-hmm. know, like I'm not there. If I have staff that's like we got it covered, you know. Um, but I've started not being at every single performance every night. Well, that's good. Yeah. That yeah. actually frees you up a little bit. It does. It's starting to make me feel more positive about the company because I don't feel like a prisoner, mm-hmm. you know. But I'm I'm there like, you know, I check in. Absolutely. Does anyone have any questions for Jack? Yeah, I guess um, when you're directing a show that you're also producing, how do you manage to balance the two roles, I guess, especially in the rehearsal room when the actors look to you as the 
Well, like right now, like we have we have someone on my staff that I can like say look to that person. So it's kind of like the producing is more like behind closed doors. Um, so there's a production manager and there is. Um, like a producing coordinator who's also a company manager. So, if, you know, they the people are really getting used to, like, don't ask me anything about comms, don't ask me anything about box office. Mm-hmm. I, I will get it wrong, I'll forget, you know, and I'll say something wrong. And um, so right now we have people, but, like, in, in, the, in the old days, five minutes ago, um, we, um, I don't know, I think I, I think I was pretty successful at, like, even if I was stressed out about something, not making other people feel stressed out about it, you know, and just um, wait until I got back to the office or something to kind of handle something like that. But, um, you know, we did, um, we had the good fortune to do this musical uh, two years ago called Lissa Strada Jones that Doug Bean wrote. Um, And um, it was was heavy duty. It was like, it was a big 12-person musical and um, my friend Dan Connect has directed it, and um, I, 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 it was like actually more work not directing that than if I had directed it. It's not a show I would direct, but it was like, oh my god, I feel like this is taking up more time because it was all when I'm like when I'm directing. There's it's just like one more middle person cut out, you know, and I can just make things go quicker, you know, and I don't have to like take time to explain to someone or you know anything like that. So. Sometimes it's actually easier if I am, as contradictory as that sounds, it's easier if I am directing than, than if not. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I, that's not realistic, so, yeah. Yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, oh, my God, that was a dream experience, yeah. but it was, like, a lot. And it's almost like they're guests in your house, right? And you were like, I want the guest tiles to be right, right and I want, you know, you want everything to be, like, perfect, you right. know, and... Um, because they're great and they, the people deserve it. Artists right. deserve it. You know? right. So, yeah. Um, you, <clears throat> I know you said you're just freelancing more now recently. Um, and you guys both spoke of the collateral that your company gave you. Did you feel like to make those opportunities happen, were you more assertively putting yourself out there as a freelance director or were opportunities coming to you because of the success of your company? What did you do? I think a, I think it was a little bit more on the on the latter, meaning like it was the 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 company was some of the recognition the company was getting was throwing a little bit of light on me, and um, but I think what I started to realize was that I started to kind of like I don't know the right phrase like seize the opportunity, but I started to be a little bit more present for moments in which things could happen, you know, um, than like not (laughs) so if it meant just like sending an email saying um hey i'd love for you to come see this show you know um i'm i'm getting ready to do a play for the pearl this new terrence mcnally play that was postponed but um my wife has worked with him so and so i knew him a little bit but i specifically got him to come see two shows and um and I think that helped, and that's something I normally didn't used to do, you know, a little bit lazy on my part, you know. And so I started not being as lazy about that stuff. I still could be better, but it's like I will kind of like, hey, Terrence, you know, I'd love for you to see. We only have two weeks left. I'd love for you to come see it, you know. And, you know, people, yeah, they have to, they have to see your work, you know, to understand it, to understand you. So I think that helped. 
When you started the Art Hunting Project, it was you and an actress, right? Yes. And so who did you bring in, like, in the early stages? Like, who did you bring in the soonest to help you guys actually make that? We happen? really did it, like, our, ourselves, you know? I mean, we had designers and actors and people that, like, did the show, but everything that, like, was company-related, you know? But we were so small. I think our art town was $50,000, you know? Um, but... Um, it wasn't until like two or three years later, uh, a guy came in and kind of helped kind of manage our books, or was helping us more starting on that. And you know, and um, it hasn't really grown that much. I mean, I have an executive director now, so I have like a real partner. Um, we have two kind of part-time staff and a bookkeeper that comes in once a week, which is now, kind of. How did you attract those people, or did they? Those those like the. Did you reach out to them? Or oh. Did they Say, oh, the executive director actually was a board member who, when we had kind of grown to a place where there needed to be one, she really wanted to do it, mm -hmm. and she, it was perfect, you know. So, um, you know, um, and I think that the, I think the other the part-time staff who were great, um, they came to us through Playbill. Like we just post everything on Playbill. <laughs> oh, you get results right away. It's yeah, and oh, everyone nice. is like yeah, and it's like really good. Yeah, you know, nice. I like I think of the people now that I like are so I'm so close with that yeah. either worked with or met because I we put an ad on Playbill, you know, so that's great. So, um, so yeah, yeah, and just like, the more work we did, you know, the more people kind of got to know us, and you know, we just come and see things and. Again, like would write me out of like Oliver was saying, would like come up to me or like write something really nice, mm -hmm. and you know we're very proactive. So I've actually tried to learn from them. <laughs> I have sort of a maybe balance and growing pains question. Uh -huh. um, I run a company that sort of organically began because we did a play about Jackson Heights with a number of playwrights and a huge number of actors, and then sort of decided that there was another piece that needed happened and so there was another play and then there became this trilogy and you know over the course of three years there's kind of coalesced a really kind of extraordinary ensemble of people um, and I think now we're sort of discovering oh wait there are these sort of like these next steps and there are you know, we moved this trilogy into Manhattan this past year but suddenly the next kind of phase of the company feels very different than it has been in the past mm -hmm. um, Partly because you know we were working with eleven writers on one piece, and now you know we're saying, oh, writers are bringing us material that feels in line with the vision of the company, but it's you know a play with you know, a smaller number of people in it, um, and you know something that you know or a play that needs to go out of town before it comes back here, and how does that like, is that a company play or is that not a company play? And, so I guess just like issues of like identity and how do you how do you deal with it when your company like it's still the same company and yet it becomes another thing. I never, like, when we started out, like, it was never, I never wanted to be a company that had obligations to people, you know? So, and that probably sounds cold, and I don't mean it that way at all, but I never wanted to have, like, a re repertory company or anything, like, official that would give people a sense of, like, um, disappointment, you know, that you couldn't, something you couldn't follow through with, you know? And so, um... In some ways, we're, I mean, I struggle with this, too. I mean, I feel like we're, like, kind of midtown, but kind of downtown, and we're really struggling with it right now, actually, this particular year, you know, because, and, you know, we may move back 
more downtown, you know, geographically. And um, so I understand you're trying to figure out kind of who you are. I mean, I would just... My only advice would be, like, just to take it really slowly and really let it happen as organically as you can, but um, within certain hardcore parameters, you know, that that feel natural, you know. Are you saying that... Are people having expectations of you that... Like, well, now it'll be an official company. Like, <laughs> Well, I think, you know, we, we've done these three plays over the last three years, with, and many of the same actors have been in these pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we're moving toward production of a play by one of our writers, um, which we, you know, workshop with the company, and yet, I think as we look at the play as play, it's, mm-hmm. you know, perhaps better served by kind of you know, casting some of the roles from outside of a sort of really organic ensemble. Um, I think whatever better serves the work is whatever better serves the work. And I think the clearer you are up about that up front, then the better, you know, so people have stop having expectations. I think managing expectations, realistic ones, early is the best, you know. Like, don't sit on them. Come to a clarity about it so you're not talking gibberish to somebody but you know I mean you know what I mean like I know exactly what you're talking about and you kind of have to make a a hard decision definitely but I you're in New York like no shoehorning allowed yeah Yeah, I mean I feel like everything that we've done up until this point has worked because we were serving the play sure I mean like you know we can't do anything but that and yet um, yeah I guess it's just sort of a different a different space how you're thinking of it. Yeah, it doesn't mean you're selling out, by the way. <laughs> it, doesn't mean, it doesn't mean you're becoming something bad. Um, I'm just curious if you were seeking out commercial producers for Lissa Strata Jones and what your role was once the show moved into a commercial arena. I mean, what? so we had done a piece in 2005, a crazy piece. It was a big mammoth-like piece called The Audience. And Louis Flynn, the composer, who's Doug's partner, who's from my hometown, he was one of the contributors to it. So I knew Lewis, actually, and Doug via Lewis. And so they came, Doug came to me and said, um, would you all want to do this? Our hope is that it could be a very under-the-radar type of situation that then if it's meant to go on, one of the things that will allow it to go on well is if it's, if the community and press are allowed to discover it as opposed to like we're marching into town and we're this big out of town tryout and it was kind of like hey like you know so we did not have um there it it was it was enhanced so to speak so it was paid for by um a lot of people under this one woman her great i love her her name is paula harold and she basically went to different people and, you know, asked them to make donations to our company earmarked for this particular project. But that, all that was, was that was just a hope. Like, as opposed to the producers of Once, who stopped at New York Theatre Workshop with all their plans in place, that's why they announced on opening night 
at 802 that they were, you know, transferring to Broadway. So we were not that, you know. I wish we were. <laughs> Anyone would love to be that. I work. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. So you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. They were not hoping. They were like, no, we planned it. Yeah. <laughs> it's and if done. And you have Fred Zolo in place. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. yeah. I just laugh because I have friends in that cast. I'm like, oh, my God, we totally didn't know. And I'm like... Yes, you knew. <laughs> I were waiting at ART to see what the thing was turning into before they, but once... That was like your last minute of like yeah. wondering, and then yeah. it was like... Yeah. So, um, I mean, that does not stopping you through a workshop to stay there. So, <laughs> so, we, so, we, so we, and we was basically, it was like, all that, it really was just like, it was like a, a, a well thought out plan, but it really was just hope. I mean, and the only reason... The single only reason, pretty much, that that transferred, and I hate to say this because it gives power to something I don't give like power to, but was because of Brantley's review. And basically, it was like everything about the review was like what you want, right? So from that, Paula and, and Doug and Lewis, too, were able to kind of like corral people down there who then ultimately, you know, moved it. But had that review... We couldn't sell it. Like, it was like no one was coming until that review. And I was like, oh, my God, I never do stuff like this fun or lively <laughs> or pop. And, like, so when I don't sell tickets to something that is, you know, sad and depressing, which is a lot, then <laughs> I was like, wait. But I thought this was the answer. And it was like, that wasn't the answer either. And then this Brantley review came out, and then we were fine for a 99-seat house. So how, how hard is that in a way? But... Um, it's hard. Um, and that was the only reason, that was literally the only reason that that happened. And then once it transferred, we were just, you know, happy and cheerleading from the side and, you know, giving them whatever we could as far as, like, um, you know, physical things left over from the production that they could use. But it was, um, it was, so you it was different. Did you, you didn't have, like, a role as a producer on, I mean, I... I we like in our like our agreement with the writers. There's always like this agreement of like, oh, if it moves, then you get this. But actually, we paid for the extension, which is kind of the most important part of the run, because that was when they were getting people there to make decisions. And, and it's also when you can sell tickets at a higher price, right? So, it's so we paid for that, and our paying for that amounted to meaning like no one like gave us the money for the other weeks of the production that we did. So. We paid for that. It was $50,000 that it ended up costing us on the books. They actually were very nice and said that you can take that 50000 and they will, like, literally count that as a $50,000 investment in the show. So that was our, our, like, monetarily investment in the show was that, yeah. So, but I'd always said that even if it hadn't... I mean, transferring it, it was really... It was fun. It was great. I and mean, it was so... It was a very, like, loving experience, you know, amongst all the people that when we did it down at Judson. And so it was almost like part of the fun was just being happy for, you know, and Doug and Lewis were great because they were every designer and every actor who did that show, um, they were loyal to them and they didn't replace anybody. And, like, I think eight of those kids were making their Broadway debuts. So I was like, just to know that we had any part in that journey of a kid making their Broadway debut was, like, touching. And so, um, so, but it's so easily, I mean, Brantley just could have been like, I don't really like it, you know, and then they wouldn't have been able to get anything out of it, you know. Um, but you guys have a Broadway transfer out of it, and I think... Which is, I'm very grateful amazing. for, yeah, I, and, I love. And I loved the show. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's also important, I think, in that in that in that situation, like Fred, Zo Fred and Barbara have so much 
experience on Broadway. They know exactly what they're doing. The New York Theatre Workshop actually has a lot of, of experience on Broadway. It's important to recognize when you don't have that experience. No. You can learn it by being part of a team yeah. when you don't need to be in charge of it. Right. I mean, I don't think we... That'll be a while before we're at that yeah. phase. I always feel like if things are meant to... I mean, this is maybe too passive, which might be my problem, but if things are meant to transfer, they'll transfer, you know, but um, I don't quite... You guys aren't set up to transfer, and I'm like, I don't know what that means. I, I still don't know what it means. Well, it you doesn't know. sound like it's what your goal is. No, no, no. It's funny doing contracts and, like, with certain pieces with writers, and it's, you know, um, you, you do have, you know, you have to, like, everyone has to kind of be wise and think ahead, and you're talking about these, like, future, like, commercial things in a contract, and some of them just make me giggle, because it's like... It's not. <laughs> it's not going to enter that world, but we can all pretend like it is now, just in case you know yeah. that it does. But yeah. yeah. Well, and Jamie, I used to. I worked on. I love your Recovery now change, and um, Jamie Hammerstein was the lead producer on that. And he would always say, you know, if it gets to that point, there will be plenty of money for everyone. Right. 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 But let's get it to that. Point, yeah. You know. Yeah. Anyway. We're trying to have like one contract that says like this is just our contract. Yeah. You know, so then it's like not personal or anything. Yeah. Anything like that, but I remember I, I'm a chairman of my board. I remember we had not signed for a show. We had not signed the contract. It was like done, but it hadn't been signed. And she was like adamant. I don't blame her. She's like, you literally cannot walk into rehearsal, the first rehearsal, without that contract signed. And I was like, yeah, you're right. And so I remember we almost canceled the first rehearsal, and the writer went by his agent's office and signed it on the way to rehearsal. <laughs> Good and that does happen a lot. Oh my God! Now I'm finding out that even the most commercial situations, yeah. like you know, people are just walk, working without contracts or yeah, people just never sign them. Yeah, yeah. I don't. Yeah. So I think that's one. That's one place where we've gotten gotten mature. I used to be very much of a handshake person, and uh, there's a point where that is great, you know, and then there's a point where like probably it's not wise. Yeah. <laughs> Any other questions for Jeff? Um, something I thought was interesting that you said earlier, and forgive my paraphrasing, was that uh, as a freelancer for yourself as a director, you're finding it hard to knock down doors and be recognized, uh, which I'm sure probably everyone in the room here could agree to. <laughs> uh, but that as producer, you, you've had to put up some walls lately and keep house a little tighter. Well, it's funny because after the transfer, it was... Um, and I don't want it any other way, but it was just a new experience to be, like, people coming to... I'm not, like... I say people. I don't mean, like, droves. But, you know, more than we were used to, people coming, hey, I had this project. And then people... Because one of the advantages of, like, a situation with us is that our contracts, like, it's it's cheaper... Like, if you're going to develop that new musical at, say, Playwrights, right? Or, or New York Theatre Workshop, your enhancement requirement is going to be, like, eight times... You know, but we can't offer things that those theaters can offer. We we don't have like eight weeks of subscribers audiences that are going to tell you whether your show is good or not. You know, so there's like there's good and bad, but um, so yeah, it's and some stuff has been tempting because some stuff is still like oh, this is all going to be paid for. And I, but I look at the project and it's just not. And it's like I always go on like I want to do it, you know. But then it's like it's not what we do. And I remember even when Doug, who I like, you know, respect so much. I remember he hit, we were at the West by Diner. He's like, so here's a script and CD, so tell me what you think. And I was like, I pray that I like this because the last thing I want to do is, like, go to someone who I, like, am a big fan of, you know. So I was just like, please. And I remember, like, hearing the first song going, 
okay, so far so good, you know, okay, I'm liking it, I'm liking this, you know, yeah. but it's tough. Yeah, I guess I was just going to ask, too, if you find yourself relying on your own personal relationships with people or are outside, you know, recommendations from friends or, or other people in the industry. I got burned on a, I got burned on a, an artist <laughs> <laughs> and a production person on recommendations from people that are like family to me, uh -huh. you know, and they didn't intend that, but it's still fresh. And so I'm like, it's got to be my own personal. Yourself, for yeah. right now, it's got to be my, I was too trusting, mm -hmm. you know. Nothing was intentional on anyone's part. It just was like I needed to, I, I was too trusting. And so I have, for a little while now, I'm a little guarded, yeah. you know. Well, thanks. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening to SDCF Masters of the Stage. This program was made possible by support from Stage Directors and Choreographers Society, the National Labor Union, celebrating five decades representing the needs and aspirations of its members, and generous funding from the NEA, the New York State Council on the Arts, and the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council. <laughs>